Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30 with our students. So I hope that this sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today. Thanks for listening. Okay, your Bibles, you can turn to Daniel chapter 4. If you're new with us, we've been walking through the book of Daniel, which is in the Old Testament. It comes after Ezekiel. And our sermon series is called Our God Reigns. It really is about how God is the God of history. And uh, tonight specifically, for those of you that were here last week, you are familiar with the passage. It's the same exact passage. For those of you that are new, I will summarize. But tonight I want to talk about pride. Pride. The cop-out sin to use in life group when you don't know what to confess, right? I'm struggling with pride. It's kind of a funny joke. I've been in life groups my whole life. I grew up in the church, so I grew up in discipleship groups. So when I didn't know what to say, I'm like, I've been struggling with pride this week, you know? Well, Daniel 4 is a letter to every tribe, tongue, and nation from... The most, the greatest king of the time and of the greatest nation, Babylon. And what's interesting is King Nebuchadnezzar is writing to the very people he just had bow down to an image of himself, right? And if they don't, they'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. But what we realize in Daniel chapter 4 is that it begins with praise. Nebuchadnezzar is praising God. He's gone through this transformation And you wonder whether or not that's connected to chapter 3. It's not connected to chapter 3. This is years later. And so we have to ask the question, where did this transformation come from? Look at uh, chapter 1 through 3, or verses 1 through 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, do all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Okay. So, Nebuchadnezzar is completely changed. And this is pretty significant, right? And I think this should get your attention. That if King Nebuchadnezzar is writing to you about the transformation that God has done in his life, that's pretty significant. I mean, that's like Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Boris Johnson or Vladimir Putin. These guys coming out, writing a letter to all the people of their nation to the whole world saying, I trust in the God of heaven. That'd be be huge news. That'd be infinitely bigger news than Kanye, right? That's what's happening here. Is the greatest king of one of the greatest nations of all time has gone through this transformation. The, The angry, murderous, prideful king. The dictator. The tyrant, King Nebuchadnezzar, is worshiping the Lord. And he's showing the signs that the Most High God has done for him. Remember, the law says what? Do. Do this and live. But the gospel says done. And so this is all about what God has done in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And if God can save this man, can transform this man, he can transform anyone. And so how? God in his mercy 
can save and transform the most prideful of people. And that's what this chapter is about. But how does God do that? Well, in four ways we're going to see in the text. First, and it has to do with pride, God transforms his people by first revealing pride. Revealing their pride. Look at verses, I'm going to read, or actually, I'm going to summarize. Verses 4 through 19, Nebuchadnezzar is at ease. He's prosperous. Everything's going well in his kingdom. And then he has a bad dream. He has a bad dream. He's terrified. He's freaking out. And so he calls the scientific community, the religious community, says, interpret the dream for me. They can't. So then he gets who? Daniel, right? Daniel, he's, he remembers, oh, you have the spirit of the gods. He thinks it's Babylonian gods, but it's really the God of the Bible. Who can help you? Because you've done this before. And so King Nebuchadnezzar gets Daniel, and then he explains the dream, which is to reveal what is to happen to him ultimately. Look at verse 10 with me. What is this dream? The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth. And its height was great, and the tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Then I saw in the visions as in my head as I lay in bed, behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven, and he proclaimed this, chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit, let the beasts flee from under it, and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amidst the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass and let his mind be changed from that of a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end for this purpose that the living may know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will and sets over the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, that's Daniel, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. What's the purpose of this dream? It's to reveal what is to happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. And in this revealing, we get a snapshot of who King Nebuchadnezzar was. And thus a snapshot into what pride looks like. First, what is pride? King Nebuchadnezzar, in, in verses 11, he's pictured as a tree. Okay, so we're going to look at this, who Nebuchadnezzar is in the dream. First, he is a tree, and the tree is where? It's in the midst of the earth. It, it's filling up the earth. And here's the first thing we learn. Pride is self-infatuation. It's self-centeredness. Nebuchadnezzar is at the center of everything. He's at the center of the world. Well, that's what prideful people do. That's where prideful people are. That's what pride does. Is it's self-infatuation. It's self-love. It's self-centeredness. It puts you in the center. A prideful person puts themselves before others. It sees no one else but themselves, whether in deed or in thought. See, pride was at the heart of Adam and Eve's fail. Sin, right? Rebellion. 
No, I will not submit to the lordship of God. I want to be God. I don't want to come under your authority. I want to be the authority because I know what's right. It's all about me. That's Adam and Eve's first rebellion. Wasn't this the motivation of the Tower of Babel? Let's make this giant tower to reach the heavens to look at human reason and human power. Look at this. Look how good we are. And it's at the center of their whole entire city. It's self-centeredness. King Nebuchadnezzar building a statue of himself, 90 feet tall, nine stories high. That's crazy. That's self-centeredness. That's what pride looks like. But pride takes form in your own hearts. You may not have built a statue. You may not have built a tower. But you're all prideful in here. Every single one of you. You want to be the center of your universe. You do. It's It's in our nature. It's in our heart. So pride removes God from the center and places yourself at the center. That's what pride does. That's the first thing we see. He's this giant tree. The second thing that we see in the text is that not only is he in the middle of, in verse 11, or sorry, verse 10, not only is he in the midst of the earth, but its height was very great. In fact, it was visible to the end of the whole earth, verse 11. And so it's the tallest. And pride in the heart of sinners longs to be noticed. It longs to be recognized. It longs to be seen. Right? It's always trying to get the attention. That's who Nebuchadnezzar was. That's who prideful people are. They're trying to be noticed and recognized by being more talented or more moral or more virtuous and more, I don't know, enlightened. (laughs) More in tune with the culture. Look, I'm here. I'm the one that actually knows. Look how virtuous I am. It has to be seen. I mean, this is pride fuels a lot of social media and Instagram and Snapchat or whatever, you know, TikTok. If you have TikTok, China has all your information, by the way. (laughs) It's a joke. I don't know if it's true. Right? It really is the fuel for that. The pride is trying to get you to be the center. I mean... If you took all your Instagram pictures and, you know, back in the day when I posted a ton of selfies and stuff, and I just took those pictures out and actually framed them and put them in my room. That's what an Instagram page kind of is. And you were to walk in, you're like, wow, dude, you got a lot of pictures of yourself there. It's kind of concerning. It's a dumb joke, but that's what it is. It has to be seen, right? Or you have to climb the ladder of success so that you can be seen as important, in, the, in your career, or in your family, or on your team, or in your class. See, we are all individual Tower of Babels, right? Just climbing to the top so that we can be seen. See, pride seeks to elevate your stature, your accomplishments, your good deeds, and decrease God's stature, God's works, all right? It's an opposite. Instead of I must decrease and he must increase. It's I must increase and he must decrease. That's pride. That's the second thing we see. Third, the tree grew very strong. It was a very strong tree. And pride in the hearts of young men and women fears being seen as weak. And this is the most prideful people. They have to overcompensate because they know that they're weak, so they have to show off, right? 
And so in our pride, we either try to grow our strength by our accomplishments. This is the outwardly prideful person. Or, see, not just the loud, boastful people are the only prideful ones. It could be the quiet and shy person that sits in the back of the room and just judges everyone. And compares themselves to everyone. See, pride takes many forms. And that's what you need to see. That's why I could say to each and every one of you, you have a pride problem. I have a pride problem. And it takes many different forms. And in studying this, God has been revealing that to me. And I hope that it's revealing to you. See, both are self-righteous here. Either those that are trying to prove that they're stronger, while the other one is crippled by their weaknesses. And so they hide their weaknesses. They don't want people to see that. And so what, rather than just admitting, admitting that you're weak and you need help and elevating God's strength, you have to uphold yourself. This is pride. It's self-centeredness. Lastly, we see in the text that the tree in verse 12, its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And it had food for all. The beasts of the field found shade and the birds of the heavens, they lived in its branches. Where am I going with this? Surely, the fact that Nebuchadnezzar is relied on by so many people, even the beasts of the field, played into his pride. Now, please hear me on this. Not all successful, rich, wealthy people are prideful. It doesn't mean that inherently they are prideful because they have a lot of things or that people rely on them. But success can make pride a much harder struggle, right? So it wasn't wrong necessarily for King Nebuchadnezzar to have a great nation. But pride here is revealed because pride loves to be affirmed by others or by things. See, prideful people seek the affirmation in people rather than in God. They're people pleasers. They love that. They love, they're fed by it. Their pride is fed by being the, being the savior of someone or being seen as important. Or being affirmed. These are those that are so concerned with titles. Or so concerned with being seen as competent. With looking like they're put together. Because they're so afraid that someone would notice that they're actually a mess. That's me. That's every single one here. We're all sinners, right? That's what the Bible says. But our pride likes to hide that. See, even depressed Anxious people. And I want to be careful here because sometimes depression comes out of nowhere. It's not caused by anything. You just have a melancholy spirit. And it's happened to, my, to, to a lot of people I know. But even depressed and anxious people can at times be in that state because of their own pride. Because they're so consumed with their self. Self-loathe, low self-esteem. Self-loathing, just pitying themselves, they're at the center of all their thinking. And guess what? When you put yourself at the center of all your thinking, you're going to be led to despair. Because there's someone always better and more competent than you. And it just feeds your pride. Prideful people seek affirmation in people rather than in God. Friends, is God revealing your pride tonight through this already? Some other forms of pride that I didn't mention but are throughout Scripture. Moral self-righteousness. Earning performance-based 
Christianity, which I know many of you struggle with, whether you see it or not. Pride of correct doctrine. You're always making fun of people that don't worship like you, who don't think like you, who don't know the things that you do. You have this elitist mentality. I have found, found myself there. That's a struggle of JT right there. Pride of achievement. Pride of an independent spirit. Pride of having control. All these are forms and variations of pride. It's serious. Pride is so serious. Listen to this verse. Because I don't want... I'm just struggling with pride to be the cop-out anymore. I want that to frighten you. I want that to terrify you. Look at Proverbs 16.5. I'm going to read it. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humble there is wisdom. Pride, Proverbs 16.18. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is the precursor to destruction, to a great fall. And a great fall, transition here, is exactly what God warns Nebuchadnezzar about. He's going to be chopped down. It's what happens. And he warns him. In his mercy, he warns him. He doesn't do it right away. He gives him a whole, a whole year. And so God gives him room to repent. So, so God transforms his people by revealing pride. That was point number one. That's what we just looked at. Point number two. God transforms his people through repentance of pride. Repenting of pride. I got all R's here, okay? Revealing pride and then repenting of pride. And so when Daniel, in verse 19, when Daniel understands the dream, it says this, that he was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. He is freaking out. He is frightened. Because he understands the destruction that is about to come and the seriousness of pride. And he tells him the interpretation, verses 19 through 27. He gives him the interpretation. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, this is you. You are the great tree. You're going to be chopped down until you realize who is the king of your life, who's in control of all these things. And then look at verse 27. He calls him to repentance. He says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. See, Daniel does what every Christian should do. He lovingly rebukes King Nebuchadnezzar and tells him to repent. Now, what is repentance? Repentance isn't just being sorry, isn't just saying I'm sorry, isn't just confessing. Repentance literally means a change of mind. The changing of a mind to the point where you agree with God about your sin. And then when you see your sin for what it is, you turn to God for help and mercy. That's repentance. It's a sorrowful for sin, but it's an acknowledgement of your own pride in your sin and your need. It's a change of mind. That's what repentance is. It's acknowledging your sin. And God gives Nebuchadnezzar room to repent a, a whole year. And he's merciful in that, right? He shoots a warning shot. You know, 
just shoots a bow, like a shot right across his chest. Like if you move, if you continue being prideful, you're going down. And doesn't God do that to us sometimes? He warns us. Maybe he's doing that through this sermon. Warning you of your own pride. I know that I could be warned when I see pastors, and maybe you've seen this. It frightens me when I see other pastors commit adultery or become disqualified in the ministry. That is a warning shot to me. I'm like, wow, that's sad. And it humbles me. It's, it's sobering. Maybe you have a family member. Maybe you have a friend. It's just on the same path as you, just a little bit further, but it has been pursuing sin. And it's left them in ruin. That is a warning to you that if you continue, that's what will happen. God is being merciful to you. Or maybe God gives you a glimpse of your own wickedness by, by a thought or commit, wanting to commit a sin that you haven't done already. And it's vile and it's wicked. He's showing you just how, how sinful and prideful you are. You need to repent. You need to turn. You need to see your sin for what it is. Because pride goes before destruction. And that's exactly what happens. So he reveals pride. He transforms us through repentance. And then third, through reducing our pride to ashes. Reducing our pride to ashes. And we see this in verses 28 through 33 in the story. Nebuchadnezzar does not repent. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you know that the Most High God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. Verse 33. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men. He ate grass like ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. There's actually conditions, mental conditions of people that eat grass and think that they're animals. You can look it up. It's pretty crazy. But this is more than just that. This is God intervening to humble King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what you need to see, that God in his grace will reduce your pride to ashes by humbling you, by stripping away all your pride and your self-sufficiency and self-righteousness until you realize that you are nothing without him, that he's given you everything. That's God's grace in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. Well, at the same time, it's the most painful thing he's ever gone through, right? I know some of our leaders have gone through similar situations. I have. I could point to some in my life where God shows me my sin and misery and the path that I'm on, and he humbles me. My sin is exposed. See, I'd rather be humbled in this life now and given a chance to repent and turn to the Lord rather than later when there's, there's no time to repent. You will be humbled either way. But here we see God's grace. And the reason why I use reducing your pride to ashes, it's a, it's a play on words. It's because this time, it's not Nebuchadnezzar throwing people into the fire. It's him going into the fire, right? It's him going through suffering and humiliation in order to be stripped. What does fire do? 
What does fire do with gold? It gets rid of all the impurities, right? It, it, it's through fire that force then can grow again. It's like working out. It, it's, it's you're tearing down your muscles so that they grow back stronger. In a sense, this is what is happening to, to Nebuchadnezzar. It's what happens to us when God humbles us. Because he finally sees just who he is. He finally takes his eyes off himself. Did you notice that? What was he doing before the judgment? He's on his roof and he's looking at all the things he has accomplished. Where are his eyes? This is the heart of the prideful man. The eyes of the prideful man are on their own accomplishments, are on themselves. They're so concerned with themselves. They're always looking sideways, comparing themselves to other people or downwards at themselves, saying, look how great I am. That's where Nebuchadnezzar's eyes were. He's consumed with himself. Thus, his pride is being stripped away. And if you're here tonight, let me just say, whether you are a churchgoer or not, this is the outcome of your pride. It will end in judgment. It will end in destruction. In humiliation, and God chastises, disciplines those whom he loves. But there is good news, and there is hope that comes in taking your eyes off yourself and placing them onto your creator. And so lastly, God transforms us, yes, by revealing our pride, through repenting of our pride, through reducing our pride to ashes, and then by restoring us by grace. By grace, not by works, by grace. So look at verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Where are his eyes? See that? He lifts his eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. That's repentance. He's got a change of mind. He's agreeing with God about his sin. And I bless the Most High and I praise and honor Him. That's our end. We were made to worship and glorify God. Pride worships and glorifies ourselves. But now He's doing what He was created for. See, humility, the start of this, humility is essentially taking your eyes off yourself and placing them onto God. That is humility. It's looking away from yourself. It's seeing yourself for who you really are and admitting your pride. Admitting you're a sinful person. That's where it starts. The prodigal doesn't come home until he sees just how wicked he is and how sin- the state that he's in. And then he admits, I'm, I'm lost. And then he comes home. Right? It comes through admitting you're a mess. Just like all of us. We're sinners. And turning from your sin and rebelling and looking to Jesus by faith. And faith, that's what it is. It's, it's confidence in someone other than yourself. Faith destroys pride. And this is the gospel. And guess what? You want to know what pride's kryptonite is? It's the gospel. Because it's the most humbling message you could ever know. It's, it's supposed to humble you. If the gospel of salvation doesn't humble you, and you have a man-centered view of the gospel that you chose to save yourself, that you took the first step of salvation, that your works achieve salvation, all of those are prideful ways of thinking. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says the very opposite. It says you did absolutely nothing to contribute to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary to save you. (laughs) That's it. You're bankrupt. 
And that's humbling. It's humbling to know that the only reason why you are saved in here, if you're a Christian, is that God predestined you to be saved. It's that God chose to save you. Yeah, prideful people do not like that message. And I will boldly proclaim it because that's exactly what Scripture says. It's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar does. What, what did he contribute to? Nothing. Nothing. See, the gospel is the most humbling message. The only way to enter God's kingdom is with empty hands. Saying, I'm, I, I need you, God. I need you. It's God-centered, not man-centered. It's lifting our eyes to heaven, confessing our desperate need of a savior. See, by nature, this is hard, right? We'd rather take credit. We like, we like to raise up our accomplishments. We want people to notice us. We want, we want to do the work. But pride is the greatest obstacle to transform, transform it, transformative power of God's grace. It's the greatest obstacle. And we receive the gospel by condemning our pride and running to Jesus, admitting our need. So many stories that we could think of. Even human, human stories. That God uses the pit in order to show us our pride. And then to show us our need and to run to Jesus. When we stand in front of God, when you stand in front of God, student, hear, the, hear me out on this. Our problem, your problem isn't just your weaknesses and your failures and your sins. It's also your good works and your goodness that hinders you from receiving God's grace because you think you are okay. You need to repent even of your good works. You do, relying on them, trusting in them. Our goodness can be an obstacle, one theologian says, to receiving the gospel because in our pride, we don't see our need. Friends, repent of your pride and look to the humble king, Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the only one who, like Nebuchadnezzar, could really say, is not this world I have created for my royal residence, but, my, but by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. And guess what? God came to earth, leaving the ease and comfort of heaven. To come and save wicked sinners that don't deserve it. He is the most humble king. He was the suffering servant. He even washed the feet of his enemies. This is our king. This is Jesus, the humble, the royal king, who would be lifted up, not for all to see on his throne, but to be lifted up on a cross for you and I, to be crucified. What is more humbling than God dying for sinners? Yet, what did Jesus do for you and I? See, student, you want to kill your pride? You got to run to the foot of the cross and you need to look up. And you need to see Jesus dying there for you daily. How can you be prideful when you are standing at the foot of the cross? It's pride crushing. And this is why we look to Jesus who is stripped bare so that we can be clothed in righteousness. We look to Jesus who went to the pit so that we could be lifted up. This is the gospel. This is humility and this is the message you don't understand if you are prideful. Pride will blind you from it. The doctrines of grace of how God saved you should leave you humbled and worshiping the king like it did Nebuchadnezzar. 
What does he say? For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures for generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And God does according to his will, his decree, his sovereignty among the hosts of heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is the message of the gospel, and it's humbling. Let me read Jesus' words. In close, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they are comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth.